Password with Matt Cooper. Today FM, it all happens here. So we're back to political guests on the Culture Club. It's been a while since we had one. In the past, we've had the likes of Pascal Donoghue, the Minister for Public Expenditure. Uh, Richard Boyd Barrett has been with us. Mary Lou MacDonald, the Sinn Féin leader, is another who gave us her choices. So I'm delighted today that we have the Tónaiste and leader of Fianna Fáil, Micheál Martin, who is with us for the Culture Club. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you very much indeed. Do you uh, have much the time though? So, do you have much time these days for books or for music or for television or movies? Um, I try and make time, uh, particularly for books. And um, there was a time in my political career when I was so sort of obsessed with it to a certain extent that I actually lost time and because prior to coming into politics I would have um, enjoyed reading immensely and um, you know did English in college or um, uh, undergraduate years in first year did Irish did history and um, so I was an avid reader as a teenager and in my early 20s and then politics became all consuming but um, then I copped on again quickly. I think it was Vincent Brown who used to keep on saying, you know, these politicians don't read books even, you know. <laughs> I remember being he struck. He might have been right. I, I've been struck when he, when he said that or wrote that maybe. And uh, I said, okay, maybe he might have a point. So I, from then on, I sort of said, okay, let's carve out a bit of time. And it, reading matters because reading broadens the mind. Um, so I, I, I do like reading in particular. I love films. Um, and I like watching documentaries on films. So and latterly, some years, back I started uh, watching documentaries and um, uh, Chivago, um and um, David Lean films um, and so I, in, in Kolosh-Kree 3 where I went to secondary school we had a very far-seeing uh, Irish teacher who had a film club on a Friday and he used to bring us all in on a Friday afternoon to watch a film um, but well, I suppose he, those were the days before it was easy to see an awful lot of movies this is way before your Netflixes even before really you had most people had video recorders probably in their houses absolutely this is 74, 75, 76 and Padraig Lawn was the teacher but he always insisted we stay in the hall until all the credits had passed. So he wanted us to understand the enormity of what went into making a film. And it wasn't just about the actors, but it's about the sound, the film. What, what sort of movies would he show? Because there would have been a care taken, wouldn't there? Wouldn't be that there wouldn't be inappropriate material for young teenagers at the time. There would have been a bit of that, although I'd say he was quite liberal himself. But um, yeah, the the, um, the w- w- westerns, of course. Uh, and some on the Roman Empire and films of that kind, you know. Um, so, you know, I often said if I ever retired, I'd like to spend two weeks in the Cork Film Festival and do nothing else or, or, or a week there and just immerse yourself in, in, in that. But they're the things that you lose out to in the world of politics. I want to start with music like we always do. And the first single you ever remember buying as such... What is it? I'm a long-haired lover from Liverpool, <laughs> Donny Osmond. <laughs> Jimmy Osmond, is it? Oh, is it Jimmy, Jimmy or, or Donny? Jimmy. It's Jimmy. It's Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy yeah. sorry, Jimmy Osmond, yeah. yeah. yeah that's okay. Well, let's I, hear remember, I remember walking into town and coming home so proud with my little single. <laughs> Your little seven-inch single. Let's hear a little bit of it. Thank you. 
probably 50 years since I've heard that as well, thankfully, although I do remember it from the time. Okay, your music of taste moves on a bit. It's from the that. truth. <laughs> no, no, you're truthful. That's good. That's good. I like that. Okay, you've got an interesting suggestion for your favourite album. Neil Diamond, the jazz singer, the soundtrack to the movie from 1980. Yeah, I, I, um, I love Neil Diamond, full stop. Uh, I think there's a tremendous sort of... Uh, vibrancy in his singing and in his music um, and um, to this day I still love it uh, and um, one of the great regrets is I didn't actually get to a live concert by him and because um, he played Dublin quite a bit in the 1980s didn't he yeah, yeah. he did yeah you know and uh, he was and one later of the, laterally and he was one of the original big acts for stadiums here in Ireland I he think was, really wasn't he, was, he yeah I think so yeah I'm not sure but he, did, he didn't do Shimsha I don't think that's for if those if you come to Cork you'd have gone to Cork, Cork you'd have gone to Shimsha yeah we went, we went there annually for whatever reason we enjoyed it but yeah and I think there's also a sense of optimism in much of his music um, if you're travelling in a car or whatever and you switch it on it uh, just gives you a great sense of uh, I think um, almost buzz and joy and uh, that's from, from most of his music you know and, right. uh, and that's not just Sweet Caroline and so on like that but all the other I Am I Said you, you know but the track we actually you know, have from the soundtrack yeah. to the jazz singer is America yeah Oh, fantastic. I, and, and so enduring, the appeal yeah. of, of those songs, you know. Uh, and um, not just to get the crowd going, but I think a lot of it is, there's a lot of reflective stuff in there as well. You have really gone for that era as well, a little bit earlier for favourite artists. Simon and Garfunkel. What has attracted you and kept you interested in Simon and Garfunkel, who would have been big really 50 years ago? Yeah, and it's laterally I would have come to them, not initially at the time. Really? Uh, Why so? Yeah. Um, just listening back, uh, I think songs like the, the Boxer, for example. Maybe my, my own father was a boxer, and I'm always interested in any sort of work of art or any poem or any song that sort of captures the mind or the mentality of the boxer in the ring and their life journey because in, invariably many boxers their life journeys are ones of adversity um, grit uh, on the streets uh, fighting their way through and uh, there's been some great films around that as well Cinderella Man and other great movies uh, around that theme of the boxer Did you ever uh, fight? Did you ever, were you uh, ever a boxer? In, in the front garden uh, in the 60s the boxing clubs in Cork Stop! My mother wasn't a great enthusiast, but Santy did bring boxing clubs every boxing gloves every Christmas, and the father would referee boxing matches in the front garden between my friends and myself. 
or in the front room at home. Um, and one of my great tactics was, there was a, you remember those uh, light bulbs that kind of sprung out from the wall? There weren't these neat ones today. So if you were in trouble, you get the brother up against that, bang, the back of his head would go off the light bulb. And <laughs> so you do realise you're exactly. revealing a violent past to me all right. I mean, no, you have to survive in situations like that. <laughs> Especially when you're boxing your older brother, you know. <laughs> so you never look at formal training. I didn't. I regret it because um, I love boxing. To watch boxing, it's a, um, and uh, particularly amateur boxing. No, I think professional has gone very rough and tough. But like Muhammad Ali was my all-time favorite sports person, and I probably watched every documentary on Ali there is to be watched, um, and uh, just fascinated with his life. But what a wonderful, stylish uh, boxer! And so, yes, I would have loved to have an opportunity to have performed in the ring properly. How good was your father? He was good. Uh, by all you know, all his peers would say that. He was known as the champ in Cork. He fought with Ireland. He boxed about 13 times with Ireland. He fought European champions. Uh, had great fights in the City Hall in Cork and um, you know, and, and to this day people, well certainly when I started canvassing uh, and so on like that he, he um, people remembered the, the great fights that he, that, that he was in, you know. Joe, Joe Bygraves would have been the the big one in Cork because he became British Empire heavyweight champion afterwards. Jamaican coming to Cork in the late, probably early 50s, uh, beaten in six two-minute rounds by my father. And when I canvassed on doors in the local elections in 1985, people didn't want to know anything about policies. Uh, are you the champ, son? I was there the night he beat by Grizz. <laughs> <laughs> and there was photographs and everything. So there you are. Let's get back to Simon yeah. and Garfunkel. <laughs> yeah. Because we're going to play a little bit of one of their tracks uh, from the movie Bookends, written for, sorry, from the album Bookends and written for the movie The Graduate. Uh, this is Mrs. Robinson. I've heard it in recent times. I just play back uh, and so on. But it's do you play here. music in the car, or are you constantly on the phone, or are you always listening to news and current affairs? I'm on the car. <laughs> I'm on the phone <laughs> a lot. Or I read uh, in the car. In the car, yeah. We get to the books later yeah, yeah, on. Yeah. Let's finish with the music though by nominating the best gig you were ever at. And it's not one from Cork, although you do have Shim Sukhushli and various festivals down in your list. Yeah, we did all of them, and 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 uh, you know, to Michael Jackson, to um, 
ballad singers to Christy Moore to um, was Don McLean there on one occasion um, I can't remember I think he might have been they yeah. might have been or, um, and um, so I mean they were for us like Sheems of Cushley was a big thing at the time <laughs> and uh, it was very successful and I can remember uh, sun drenched days in Parky Kiev and rain uh, uh, as well in the different uh, concerts um, on, on, on an annual basis but yeah. the one you've given us is from the three arena from 2018 you too during the experience and instance tour yeah I went along to that I was invited to that and uh, I thought it was a fascinating uh, production um, and um, again in our era in college you two were coming if you like and um, they've been part of our journey through life well, my age generation um, and I've great admiration for what they do but I also think their music and their productions are thoughtful um, and they're thematic in terms of their life journey themselves uh, and I was at the recent um, I saw you at the recent Bono performance yeah. in the Olympia which was a very very special night it was something else and I, I jokingly said not jokingly I kind of said God he's lost on stage but then again he's been on stage but he's been what I meant was as an actor yeah so I, I was really taken by by, by, by by that production and by them and their music is uh, enduring as well, and, and also I think they've been great leaders um, from the music world in a b- benign, positive way in terms of uh, messaging. In terms of we should look outwards as a country, and we should look after those most vulnerable. I mean, I think all that period with Bob Geldof, you two, in terms of uh, development support, uh, supporting countries in Africa and in less developed regions, has been a powerful message to young people who follow them. That, to be frank, politicians on their own could never wouldn't have the similar capacity to reach such a wider audience in terms of that fundamental message. So you don't mind that, do you, when rock stars and celebrities get involved in trying to tell elected politicians what to do? No, I don't. Um, I think it's all part of our democracy. I I think, okay, you might get impatient and politicians tend to get impatient with sort of the simplicity of some of the messages, but the point is it creates a momentum that leads us in the right direction. Now, we should be leading, and we, many of us do, and it gives us support as well in terms of that idea of Ireland as an international, as a global country that looks outwards. Uh, we have to consistently say to our younger people, please keep looking outwards. Uh, with the emergence of certain groups, there's a huge danger, ultimately, that you could become insular again. America is becoming insular now. When you think of Neil Diamond's song about we're coming to America. Which is all about immigration. Exactly. It's harking to an era when America opened its arms and welcomed people into America, which made America. That is modern America. And many Americans are tearing their hair out now, saying we can't bring people in anymore. And it's becoming insular and inward-looking as opposed to outward-looking. Ireland must always be outward-looking. And I, th- I think our our rock stars, to put it that way, have been outward-looking and have had global status in terms of their messaging. And that's a positive for Ireland. Let's hear a little bit of you two from the gig at the Three Arena in 2018. Here's the fly.
two from the Innocence and Experience Tour from 2018. OK, we need to take a break. The Thunderstein Minister for Foreign Affairs and Fianna Fáil leader Michal Martin is staying with us for the second half of his Culture Club, which comes up after this. Welcome back. It's the Tónista Fianna Fáil leader, Minister for Foreign Affairs, Michal Martin, our latest political inductee to the Culture Club. And we're going to move now, Michal, to movies. And I'm interested that you've gone for a movie which didn't get enormous acclaim when it came out. Uh, Martin Scorsese's The Irishman from 2019. Why did you pick that? Well, I love Scorsese and um, De Niro um, and that whole sort of American gangster mafia genre if you like and uh, that's a lovely slow moving film um, I know some people feel it lacked a kind of um, a proper ending or a crescendo at the end but um, it, it's, it's a slow moving movie um, but it's also a very interesting um, plot in terms of um, the, the, the labour movement the Kennedy the Kennedy thing and the background Jimmy Hoffa, Jimmy Hoffa the, the role with Robert Kennedy there's that great line if they can take out a president they can take out you Jimmy no I'm paraphrasing but it's a word to that effect and those great sort of mannerisms of De Niro you know and is it uh, Joe Kopechny or who's ever saying to De Niro you better go and talk to to, to, to Joe you know and uh, it, it is it is what it is you know uh, that's, that's a great line it is what it is Jimmy uh, and then Jimmy roars you know Al Pacino and the hell they would <laughs> I love it I just think it's great let's, let's hear a clip from it in this clip that we have and we have the union leader Jimmy Hoffa played by Pacino reprimanding mobster Anthony Provenzano played by Stephen Graham for being late making a point making a point dressing like that so you dress for a meeting and this is how you dress in Florida in a suit? For a meeting? Anywhere. Florida, Timbuktu, I dress in a suit. For a meeting. And you're late. What? You're late. And it was traffic. Yeah, it's traffic. <laughs> Wasn't it traffic? You give me the traffic. traffic. What, do you, what, what do you want from us? It was bumper to come bumper. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's, uh, it's bad, you know. Traffic. I never waited for anyone who was late more than 10 minutes in my life. I'd say 15. 15's right. No, 10. I don't think so. 10's not enough. You have to take traffic into account. That's, that's what I'm doing. I'm taking traffic into account. That's why it's 10. I still say 15. No, 10. Fine, we, we disagree on that. Well, how oh. about 12 and a half minutes? There we go. Hey, 12 and a half. Middle, right it's in the middle. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, more than 10 is saying something. He's saying something to me. No, I'm here. Mm. It says what it says. See, Neil Martin, I'm just thinking, like Jimmy Hoffa, you're never without a suit on. So do you get like that with people who turn up late? <laughs> like when you were Taoiseach, if somebody minister turned up late, would you give them that treatment? <laughs> not quite. <laughs> Actually, not quite close to it. <laughs> uh, no, not, and punctuality isn't my greatest trait, so it wouldn't be on me to... <laughs> to, to give out to, to anyone be, else. Giving the coded message, and there was some coded message there both ways, I think. Uh, and, okay. yeah. You also have Casablanca on the list, which Daniel McConnell only last week nominated as his favourite it's my, it's my all time favourite if I'm honest um, I love Humphrey Bogart but and I watched I, I, I said this recently that um, one Christmas I brought all the kids around and said look you've got to watch Casablanca I know it's you know, a different era they all liked it they all 
loved it actually and um, it's a great movie and the, the great thing about that movie was one of the, at the time they were churning out movies once a week in Hollywood and these were kind of regular fare but this one for some reason uh, was exceptional um, in, in terms of um, the quality and the product of it uh, and also the degree to which it captured the imaginations uh, of, of people um, and um, it, I, I could watch it again and again and again and uh, there's a great cadence to the film there's there's great moments in the film singing the French National Anthem in Rick's Bar for example which is what we did All last week we actually played a bit of that yeah. let's move on to books because clearly you've expressed your love of books yeah. and you've picked somebody else who's been a regular guest on this programme and who came in to speak about a Paragon as his latest novel you've gone for Colin McCann as your favourite author why so? because I think Let the Great World Spin um, and I read The Dancer um, I said, met him recently in New York for the first time. It was a great privilege. Uh, he, the, fir- the first chapter of the dancer you just take, no one captures the trenches and warfare like he does. But a Perigon is a special novel. It's, um, it's a, he describes it as a hybrid novel, but it takes the lives of two fathers who've lost their daughters, um, an Israeli and the Palestinian. Um, but then there's so much more going on there, and they come together uh, to form uh, an organization dedicated to peace. Um, and so on and just sort of it's their journey through life and in, in, in meeting with different uh, individuals and so on but in a very subtle not not so subtle maybe but in, in its own way it illustrates the uh, situation in the West Bank or in in Israel in terms of the respective journeys home that both parents have the Israeli could take a half an hour to get home uh, the Palestinian father could take two and a half hours to get home um, and it, but then what I love about it as well if you go through the beginning um, of the book you know you, you could be reading he's big into the birds obviously the birds are a theme of that yes. uh, particular novel um, and so he's talking about the, the Ortolan bird and the so one minute you're talking about ancient times in Rome and they're stoning the bird to death and then roasting him on the thing and eating him and then next minute you turn over a page and you're reading the next couple of pages is about the last 10 days of Francois Mitterrand's life in, in incredible detail and it's about the Ortolan bird and Mitterrand apparently ordered uh, that he want, his last meal was to be a feast of the Ortolan which in France uh, is, is the what's the word the, the bird if you like of, of that, and that one shouldn't touch Isn't that the bird that the famous story himself and Charlie Hawhey once had in a meeting as well? But that never actually happened. Uh, I know, but, uh, still, it's a good story. It. it was on the, the Hawhey film, I think. <laughs> yeah, and of course you have to put the table cut up over your head. Yes, yeah, so that nobody God, observes well, you eating it. God mustn't observe you eating it, apparently. Yes. Uh, this board is so sacred in French. And culture. you eat it whole, every bit yeah, of it. Yeah, every bit of it. And the bones will, Crunch. the little bones will break in your mouth and they, your, your blood becomes the juice of the meat. No, that's nice on a culture show. <laughs> but this, is, this has per Conor McCann in the very gone. Well, okay. let's hear another so little I do, bit from I do that actually book. retain a lot of what some I, of these guys I, I, I don't know if that's the clip we have from the book, but you certainly <laughs> proved if you've read it anyway. Rami pushes the bike hard, even in bad weather. He takes a sharp right at the gardens where the fog lifts to reveal dark corpus separatum. He downshifts and whips past a military tower. The sodium lights appear fuzzy in the morning. A small flock of birds momentarily darkens the orange. At the bottom of the hill, the road dips into another curve, obscured in fog. He taps down to second, lets out the clutch, catches the corner smoothly and moves Back up to third, road number one stands above the ruins of Colonia, all history piled here. 
he throttles at the end of the ramp, takes the inner lane, passing signs for the old city, for Givathram. The highway is a scattershot of morning headlights. He leans left and salmons his way out into the faster lane, towards the tunnels, the separation barrier, the town of Beit Jala. Two answers for one swerve. Gilo on one side, Bethlehem on the other. Geography here is everything. Colin McCann doing the reading from his own book, A Paragon. Vincent Brown will approve of what you're reading, even if he probably doesn't approve of anything else that you do. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very rich book. It's a very, very rich book in detail and knowledge, and uh, I would urge people to read it. And in fact, I've we've sent copies to quite a number of foreign ministers uh, around Europe. Uh, when I meet them and we talk about the Middle East, I say you've got to read this book. Um, and um, it's that I think it's that good. Uh, it's also hugely enjoyable read. Um, uh, and um, there's that great moment when the the, the tightrope walker, um, Philippe. Um, uh, the name escapes me as well. May as well. And he, he, he emerges also in Let Great World Spin. Yeah. And he walks across the valley and the, he, he wants to release the dove of peace. But the bird, he bought it in a pet shop and he obviously bought a con job of a bird because the bird doesn't fly away. The bird it flies. It's like a multi python sketch. No? But the, yeah, but, yeah, but this is a, <laughs> the bird digs his um, claws back into the neck of the typhoid walker, no safety net. And the crowds are applauding, thinking this is a wonderful feat and trick. <laughs> so, and it's not never meant to happen, you know. And I just love those kind of details in the middle of an novel that you get this kind of mid, uh, sort of sub-drama happening um. Okay, let's get to the rest of the time we've available to us You have a whole list of plays that you've given us you Could I just make, give a oh, shout yes, out to The Magician by Colin, Mc, or by, um, Colin Tobin yeah. Oh as well, okay that, That's a fabulous novel, uh, well worth the read Okay, good, yeah. alright Favourite plays, you obviously like getting to theatre as well, do you? I don't get often as, uh, there as often as I should um, and um, I had a first cousin, late Morris, Morris Sheen, actually, who was an actor with the Druid many years ago in, in the 80s. So I went to see some of the Brian Freed plays that they put on. Your translations um, as one of translations, your Translations, yeah, it was a great show. Uh, the Barstool Boy was probably the best play I went to in the Abbey many years ago. So much so long ago, Nile Tobin was the, uh, the, 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 the actor. And um, I had read Bean's Barstool Boy before that and in, in, in my sort of late teens and uh, was very taken by it. And it's a... It's a uh, it's a wonderful, I think, novel, uh, but also a, a, a great play. I see you also have The Field and you also have The Cripple of Inishman. Yeah, I saw The Cripple of Inishman in New York, uh, performed by the Druid. Uh, and um, Niall Burgess was the Consul General at the time. And he knew if I got over, even if I got off the flight, you either go to bed or get ready for the next day. Or he'd say, look... I can sneak in a play here and it was a Cork it's not Cork sorry uh, you bring everything uh, back to Cork there was a drama (laughs) festival in New York an Irish drama festival that we were supporting and uh, Druid were on that occasion I think and uh, I got to it Um, and um, that was a fabulous production what amazed me was notwithstanding the what I would have perceived to be the difficulties of the, or the idiom of the language, West Ireland language for New Yorkers or cosmopolitan audience, they all took to it and loved it. Uh, it's very interesting, the universality of that, the language of the play. Is there anything in television you could nominate for us? Um, well, in the sense of um, what I loved? Or yeah, because well, you probably don't get to watch much now, do you? Not as much as I would like to know. Um, Love Hate was, I think, in more recent times. I was glued to that at the time. I thought that was a. It's almost broke a new frontier in Irish television terms, I, I thought. And that was a wonderful 
play a great, a wonderful film. Acting, probably in the years series, when you were in series. opposition as well, you had a little I bit was, more time to watch. Yeah, but I mean, I got so good, I said to people, we better do a niche on it, you know. <laughs> you know niche was the, just the all. of violence running through this culture club. <laughs> but uh, he was good. I, but, you know, those great moments. Uh, you know, I don't I won't go. <laughs> <laughs> What's your great moments of violence? <laughs> or, <laughs> all going back to those boxing lessons in uh, your front room. But yeah. the other one is young, the, the, you know, the, um, we were just talking earlier with people, you know, the, obviously, I think, yes, Minister, to me, is an all-time classic. Dad's Army, I saw, I was sitting with my late father, <laughs> we'd watch Dad's Army. Uh, the Fugitive, when I was a child, uh, Richard Kimball, do you, oh, it's an earlier generation, but yeah. uh, he was this guy who always got away, if you like, but yes. they were all chasing him. And my dad convinced me that he knew the end of every series. And so every week, the dad would sort of be predicting what was going to happen and of course the inevitable happens in all these shows he gets away but we'd all be amazed at my dad's sort of knowledge and he'd say look I, I meet him every week I'll tell you again what's going to happen next week <laughs> <laughs> I got to such ridiculous notions I clearly was young that I was woken up one night to come down to the kitchen there was four or five friends of the father and that's Richard Kimball over there now just I thought I'd bring you down to talk to him <laughs> <laughs> well listen I'm going to go back to finish we're going to play a clip of Yes Minister because I want to know just how real this particular thing might be because it's the PM as Jim Harker was at this stage uh, played by Paul Eddington explaining how he deal with backbenchers looking for a pay rise oh Bernard would you like a scotch oh yes yeah, could I have a large one please another triple <laughs> <laughs> Humphrey should have seen this coming and warned me. I don't think Sir Humphrey understands economics, Prime Minister. He did read classics, you know. <laughs> he's head of the Treasury. Well, I'm afraid he's at an even greater disadvantage in understanding economics. He's an economist. <laughs> can't the Cabinet see they've got to be cuts? Well, they can see they've got to be cuts in other departments, not in their own. So this morning you ordered a clamp done? I can't order anything done. I'm only the Prime Minister. <laughs> In charge? No, I'm not. A leader can only lead by consent. Consensus. That's democracy. So who is in charge if you're not? Well, nobody, really. Oh. <laughs> it must be. That's what democracy is all about. And as if that weren't enough, I've got a deputation of MPs coming to see me this afternoon about a pay rise, I promised them. What will you say? I should say I deeply sympathise, which I don't. They fully deserve their money, which isn't true. <laughs> that I shall make it my first priority as soon as the crisis is over, which I shan't. But if they go and vote themselves a whacking great pay rise and then tell everybody else there's no money for their pay rises, it doesn't do very much for the dignity of Parliament, which it doesn't. But aren't they underpaid, in fact? Underpaid? Backbench MPs, darling. Being an MP is a vast, subsidised ego trip. It's a job for which you need no qualifications, there are no compulsory hours of work, no performance standards, a warm room and subsidised meals for a bunch of self-opinionated windbags and busybodies. You suddenly find people taking them seriously because they've got the letters MP after their names. Tarlisha, leader of Fianna Fáil, Michal Martin, your response to that, please. You, you dug deep for that one. <laughs> Good humour. <laughs> not quite, not quite the uh, real story. Um, uh, but in terms of... Come on, uh, dig, keep digging, keep no, digging. No, no, in terms of... Uh, I would have a much different perspective on my backbench TDs now than that. I can tell you that. You know? But I do get the point about the pay rise in contrast to um, uh, to whatever might be going on in, in, in the economy, you know. But... Uh, 
<laughs> the bit about no one in charge is a, is, is a very interesting line. I think it speaks to the limitations of power too, you know. Uh, well, wait, do you f- at times public, feel, if not redundant, do you feel No, I never feel that. No, I always, but do you feel restrained in what you thought course, you might have been able to do? Uh, well, no, I think there are limitations and people often say to you, oh, you're in charge. Uh, that line, and the public perception obviously is one. Taoiseach, Taunus, the minister is in charge. But of course, the minister has a whole range of limiting factors. Correctly so, there has to be checks and balances in every political system. Um, and uh, what I liked about Yes Minister is that struggle between Hacker, if you like, and Bernard, uh, not Bernard, um, Humphrey. Uh, and every now and again, I would, uh, not, not so sure some of my colleagues in this public service enjoy me saying every now and again, uh, I, I, I watched that somewhere in Yes Minister, something similar. So in other words, when someone says we better commission a review or we better work and someone like that I sort of said oh yeah this is yes minister again you know and I have a bit of banter with people every now and again and uh, then they get their way uh, no they don't <laughs> <laughs> right there's a few moments when um, Hacker got his way <laughs> <laughs> ok we're going to have to leave it at that uh, Tonish the leader of Fianna Fáil, Minister for Foreign Affairs thank you Mion Martin for being our latest political inductee to the Culture Club it's been great having you with us thank you very much thank you very much indeed The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30.